0: your Bibles tonight, open to Romans chapter 5, if you would, Romans chapter 5, Romans 5. I think the same thing could be said for Brother Heath and Ms. Rachel, uh, they're doing a good job with their, their kids. I do want to encourage you to get a card for the preacher for next week while he's not here and listening. Uh, just a card to encourage him on his third anniversary as brother nate mentioned this morning Uh, so i do encourage you to to do that brother nate wanted me to be sure that i reminded you about that Um, i was not the one scheduled to be here this evening Uh, i don't know who was but i got a text this afternoon about two o'clock from the preacher so um I, uh, I usually am generally ready to do something and uh, at the last minute I can take a Sunday school lesson and probably with a little bit of work, convert it into more of a sermon. But I didn't quite have the time to do that so I had to get one of my Sunday school lessons that uh, I had that's a little more preachy and uh, we're going to look at that tonight. Um, in romans chapter number five but i promise you you will learn something be reminded of something and uh uh, but i I must say we're going to be turning to a couple of places in the bible so keep them handy Uh, i think preachers ought to use the word of god and uh, that's the tool that's what does the work so we're going to be doing that tonight and um Romans chapter number 5. Before we read our text, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the evening. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. It was not by our design, but by yours. So evidently this message is going to be needed by someone for whatever purpose you have. Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen, not only with our ears, but with our hearts open to you to receive the word. And Lord, we ask for your blessings upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. I've asked several people before about their salvation. And when someone comes and says, responds to my question about salvation, and they say, yes, I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. And I will inquire further. Say, how do you know that you were saved? Well, Jesus saved me is a common answer that i get and then i ask again well how did jesus save you what did he do to save you and i generally get a response like this well jesus died for my sins on the cross and that is true he did that and so from the answer the person gives we assume that salvation is wrapped up in that one little response that jesus died for our sins and i think we have simplified salvation down to that point tonight i want to expand that so that we get a little better view of what it took for christ to save us Now bring your attention to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. Very familiar verse. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just what we mentioned. Verse 9 says, much more than. So evidently there's much more to it than just Jesus dying for us right much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more again much more being reconciled We shall be saved, Uh uh-oh, that doesn't fit my answer, does it? We shall be saved by his life. Well, I thought you told me we were saved by his death. What does that mean, saved by his life? Some would say, well, that that means his resurrection. It doesn't say resurrection. The context in here has nothing to do with the resurrection. You read a lot of commentaries, it's going to tell you the resurrection. But I don't believe that's what it means. Got you intrigued? Huh? (laughs) So we're going to look at this phrase, saved by his life, and try to figure out what it was. I was reading my Bible, rejoicing in salvation. And the fact that he died for my sins so that I could be saved. And when I read that statement, it jumped out at me. And it was like, it wasn't just the death of Christ on the cross that saved you. And so I began a journey of figuring out what that meant. And I want to share that with you this evening. The life of Christ, speaking about his 33 and a half years on this earth, We know really very little about. We know about his birth. We know uh, an event that happened with the wise men who came shortly after his birth, before he was two years old. Uh, We know about an incident when he was 12 years old in the temple. And that is about all we know until Christ is ready to start his public ministry. From that point on, when he is baptized by John and John points him out and declares him to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, from that point on until his crucif- crucifixion, we have the most information about Christ. But overall, it is not that much. John, toward the end of his gospel, said in John twenty one twenty five. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So there is a vast amount of information about Christ, even while he was here on earth, that is not recorded. But what we need to know and what God wants us to know is recorded. So what about his life? These are questions I began to ask myself as I tried to figure this out. Why did Jesus have to live 33 and a half years? Couldn't he have died at 25 years of age? Couldn't he have died on the cross then and paid for our sin? Why did he wait till the point that he did to start his public ministry? What was so important about his life? We know that the birth of Christ was important, his virgin birth as it is recorded, as it was prophesied and recorded in Scripture. We obviously know about his death, him dying on the cross being a vital aspect of salvation. We just read about his blood in verse number nine and how it is connected directly with justification. We know that his resurrection was certainly important. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and told them, said, if Christ be not risen from the dead, then our faith is vain. If all of these aspects of Christ's life and what he did in his life are important, so then is the overall scope of his life. So, to explain it, I'm going to give you several statements and some verses. If you want to jot them down, you can. Now, I don't know for sure if this is being recorded or not, but if so, uh, you can look back at it. We're going to go fairly quickly through the first ones where we can spend a little more time on the last few because that's where it all comes together. First of all, here's the first statement. God's measuring stick for salvation or for eternal life is perfect righteousness. Okay? Okay? Now let this sink in. I'm going to give you a couple of verses here. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. You do not have to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you, but you can jot it down if you want. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 20. Jesus speaking, he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he is telling this group of people, he said, You know the Pharisees. Uh, and they are, as far as the law is concerned, they are righteous people. But Jesus said, if you want to make it into the kingdom of heaven, you are going to have to have righteousness that exceeds their righteousness. All right, here's another verse: Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Speaking of those who are facing eternal judgment, he says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So God's measuring stick for eternal life or salvation is perfect righteousness. And we're going to see this throughout the other verses that we we go along. There's many we can turn to, but we'll see it more as we move forward. The second statement is this. Righteousness, perfect righteousness, means to be holy. That's how we would describe it. In a practical sense, it is the absence of everything that is wrong and the presence of everything that is good. We often think of someone as righteous as being not tainted with sin. But righteousness is more than just not being tainted with sin. It is the possession of everything that is good. That's what true righteousness is. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says, Whosoever commits sin transgressed also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And in James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when we realize that God expects perfect righteousness to gain eternal life, then that puts us on the path to find perfect righteousness or become perfect righteous, perfectly righteous. And that's what many people do. Statement number three, our righteousness will never be good enough in God's eyes. We cannot have perfect righteousness of ourselves. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It did not say all of our sins are as filthy rags. It says all of our righteousnesses are are as filthy rags. In James chapter 2, verse 10, 11, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. We tend tend to compare ourselves with one another and against one another and we think that we're not as bad as some and therefore God's going to be pleased with me. And we go about trying to gain that perfect righteousness. We go go about trying to establish that in our own life. And even people who are saved go about trying to do things that they know are right to do to gain God's favor. And that's not going to work. Because we cannot have perfect righteousness. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, now stick with me. God's measuring stick for salvation or eternal life is perfect righteousness. Righteousness means to be holy. Practically, It is the absence of all that is bad and the presence of all that is good. Knowing this, it puts us on that path to try to make ourselves righteous. Third statement was, our righteousness will never be good enough in God's eyes. The fourth statement is this, Jesus Christ's righteousness is perfect. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is perfect. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was faced with every temptation that could be known to man And he faced it and was victorious over it. Every sin that man could experience and be tempted with, he faced and he refused it. He overcame it. But that's not all it says. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it talks about how Jesus was anointed uh, with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Now I do want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're saying Jesus Jesus Christ's righteousness is perfect. Matthew chapter 3. So now we're starting to get into some of the aspects of Jesus' life. And I want you to see some statements that he made that show what the purpose of his life was for. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It is at the baptism of Christ. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us. Look at this. To fulfill all, there's our word, righteousness. Huh. That's right. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17. Matthew 5 verse 17. Again, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So two statements that Christ made. One said that he came to fulfill all righteousness. And the second statement was that he came to fulfill the law. All right? One more, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. So we said Jesus' righteousness is perfect, and that's exactly what it is. He, uh, He faced every sin and was victorious over it. And he did everything that was good that needed to be done. Not only did he face every sin and overcome it, he had the opportunity to do everything that was good, and he did it. You know how long that would take, somebody? Uh, I'm guessing about 33 and a half years. All right? Yeah. And then the fifth statement is this. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us. Matthew chapter 20. In verse number 28, that's what he says. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So here we have Jesus talking about his life and why he came to earth to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill the law, and then to give his life as a ransom or a payment. And when he was dying on the cross, he was giving his life. His life was the ransom to pay for our sins. 2 Corinthians, now, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. We're getting down to it. Stick with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. It says, for he, speaking of God, hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now let's stop right there. So we know that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he bore the judgment for our sin. And so as Jesus hung there on the cross, we know, we just had Easter, right? And we've kind of looked at those passages some about Christ and the crucifixion. But while he was there, God was pouring out the, his wrath upon our sin on Christ. He became sin for us. He was there. Though he had not sinned himself, though he had perfect righteousness, God was pouring out the punishment for our sin upon Jesus Christ. But that's not all that it says he did. Look at the rest of the verse. He did that so that we... Might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So in salvation, not only did God pour the judgment for sin out on Christ, but Christ gave His life, His perfect righteousness, to us. He bore our sin and we now bear his righteousness if we've been saved. Okay? That's what it's saying. Turn back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. We're going to look at our text verse again. So we understand that the reason Christ was Living the life, fulfilling the law, and fulfilling righteousness was so that he could give that perfect righteousness to us when we call out unto him for salvation. Because we cannot get perfect righteousness any other way. There is none righteous, no, not one. So Romans 5 and verse 8. But God committeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood. And notice the tense change here. He says, being now, present tense, justified by His blood. Just as if we had never sinned. We shall be in the future. Future tense. Shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, that is not talking about at some point down the road we'll be saved. It is telling us that we are saved from any future wrath for our sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And he explains it in verse 10 a little more in detail. He says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Yeah, the death of Christ was very important because there was no way we could get to God. We could not get there without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the blood that He shed. There is no way. It is his blood that justified us. It is his death that brought reconciliation so that we can come to God and our sins can be forgiven and we can be in the presence of God. The veil of the temple rent. We have access to him now because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What about the future? What about our future sins? And he addresses that here. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what he's saying here is that when Christ died on the cross for our sins, the judgment of our sin was poured out on Christ and he suffered our hell for us. But in giving his life, he took his righteousness and gave it to us when we came to him for salvation. And now we have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and that is what saves us. That's why I am saved eternally because when God looks down at one of us who are saved, He sees not our sin, but He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And yet, Statement number six, the struggle to obtain righteousness still goes on in the lives and hearts of many. Turn to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse number one. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're religious. They want to know God. They're trying to get to know God. But they're doing it the wrong way. And he explains why in verse 3. For they being ignorant of, look at this, God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Boy, it doesn't get much plainer than that, right? Hey, God's, God, uh, Jesus died on the cross, God in the flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. He paid for them by his death, by the blood, and reconciled us to God. And when we come to him for salvation, he gives us perfect Righteousness. But yet today we still have folks who are trying to go about and establish their own righteousness in the sight of God. Hey, you're going to work yourself to the bone. At some point you need to come to the conclusion that you can't do anything to become righteous in the sight of God. Because there is none righteous. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can come to church all you want to, but that's not going to make you righteous in the sight of God. You can get baptized many times as you want to, but that doesn't make you righteous in the sight of God. You can do good deeds all that you want to. Your good can far outweigh your bad, but that doesn't make you righteous in the sight of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. And as long as you go about trying to establish your own righteousness, you'll never attain perfect righteousness. The only way that you can get that perfect righteousness is by coming to Jesus Christ. He is the only one who has perfect righteousness. He is the only one who can give you perfect righteousness. He is the only one. He is the one mediator between God and man. It is the man Christ Jesus. Yet many people struggle to obtain that perfect righteousness and it never happens. Turn back to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We did mix a little preaching in this Bible study, didn't we? Romans chapter 4. So we understand here that there is God's righteousness that comes by faith. And there is man's righteousness that tries to be achieved by the law. Okay? What saith the scripture? Verse number three. That's always a good question to ask when you're trying to decide something. All right, Romans chapter four, verse three. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You see that? God's righteousness came to Abraham because he believed by faith. Verse 4 says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly His faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Huh? And verse 7. Here's what David said. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So our past sins are forgiven. Our present sins are covered and our future sins will not be imputed to us who are saved. This is a blessed man. That this is describing because when we we say well you can be saved but if you sin again there goes your salvation no it's just your fellowship with God Jesus Christ is in the presence of God in heaven interceding for us and every time Satan accuses us he points back to the sacrifice on the cross as payment for our sin and our sins that we may commit are never imputed to our account in fact Christ paid for them on the cross of Calvary all of our sins, past, present, future. In fact, all of them were in the future when he died, wasn't it? Yeah. So we see that this God's righteousness is obtained simply by faith. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We see that same struggle going on with the Jewish people. Again, Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness so here was these Gentile people, they weren't worried about being righteous, they were just living for themselves. It says they followed not after righteousness, but yet they have attained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. They weren't even trying to be righteous. They realized their sinful condition and came to Christ, and they were given God's perfect righteousness. Verse 31, he says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. They can't keep the law and become righteous. Wherefore or why because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law for they stumbled at that stumbling stone Verse 1 of chapter 10 brother my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record that They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. Hmm. Look down at verse nine. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For, he says, with the heart man believeth unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's only one acceptable way to become perfectly righteous in the sight of God. And that is by accepting Christ as your Savior. Realizing that you can never be righteous. You are a sinner. We all are. There is none righteous. No, not one. No matter what we do or what we try, we cannot be perfectly righteous in the sight of God. And that's the whole reason that Jesus came. He lived that perfect life of 33 half years and gave His life as a ransom on the cross. God poured out the judgment for our sin upon Him. And when we come to Him as our Savior, He pays the penalty of our sin there and we are reconciled to God. He washes us with the blood and He gives us His perfect righteousness. Where when God looks at us, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. Huh. Yeah. One more verse. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. And verse number 9. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 9. Paul wanted to be found in him, he says, and found in him. Notice what he says. I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Let me ask you this evening. Are you going about trying to establish your own righteousness so God will accept you? It's never going to happen. Back in Romans 10, there is something that he says there. Romans 10, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, you're not ignorant of that anymore, if you were. And going about to establish their own righteousness... And here's the condition at the end. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know, it takes some humility to submit to the truth that we're sinners that can never save ourselves and be righteous in the sight of God. That what Christ did for us, leaving heaven, coming to earth, living a perfect life, Dying on the cross. There was no aspect of what he did in salvation that didn't play a part in salvation. We don't come close to understanding it. But we know that we're unrighteous. And we know that what he did can give us perfect righteousness. And the question is have you submitted to it? Or Are you still going about trying to establish your own righteousness to be accepted by God? It can't happen. I rejoice in a couple of things that I submitted to the righteousness of God one day. I came to Christ and he saved me. Didn't understand it, still don't totally understand it. But he saved me, washed away my sin. But that's not all. He saved me eternally. He saved me eternally. And I can say that not because of my righteousness, but because he gave me his righteousness. What's the song say? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What are you trusting on tonight? That's my question. Let's pray, Father.